So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 13 this morning. Psalm 13. And as you're turning there, I just want to once again say thank you to the pastors, to the congregation that calls themselves Liberty Baptist Church. As I said before, it's a wonderful and joyous privilege and honor to be able to take over the pulpit for a Sunday and your pastors have entrusted me with that responsibility this morning. Thank you so very much, pastors. So it's a joy to be able to be with you all and hopefully I won't tear up. I teared up in the last service and almost uh, lost composure for a little bit. So hopefully that won't happen this time, but I do want to say uh, I love you very much. And it, and it is out of that love that I want to bring this message, this sermon of encouragement to you all this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I, I was a member here while I did my Ph.D. studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And when I was looking for churches, I didn't do very much church hopping. I immediately fell in love with this church family. And I decided I wanted for as long as the Lord would have me here to plant myself here. And it was a joyous time. I was here from 2017 to 2019 and a little bit in 2020. And it was such a joy to be among you all. And it is out of that joy that I want to give back to you all this morning in the sermon. And I know that this precious church family has been through many trials, particularly over the last couple years. And I want to bring a message, a sermon of encouragement. And my sermon main point, if you are that type of person and you like main points, is simply this. Even in adversities, we can worship the Lord. Even in adversities, we can worship the Lord. So what we'll do is we will read this text together. And then we'll pray together, and then we'll begin the sermon proper. So God says through his servant David in Psalm 13, if you're not there yet, Psalm 13. Here's what God says to all of us. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How long? Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up ancient concerns within me, anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. 
restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, as I prayed in the first service, help us on. Help me to preach this text clearly. Help me to make much of your son Jesus in this text again. As I asked you just an hour ago, please help the congregation to listen well. I pray that we would come out of here more in love with your son Jesus yet again. I pray that this psalm would become one of liberty's favorites as I asked you beforehand. Do it again, Father. Give me energy. Give me, give me strength to preach again. You know I need it, Father. And help your people just to glory in who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you are a note taker, my outline is very simple. In the first two verses, I want you to see it is okay to wrestle with God in your questions. It is okay to wrestle with God in your questions. Verses 3 and 4. It is okay to plead with God. It is okay to plead with God. In verses 5 and 6. I want you to see that in your adversities, in your trials, in your hardships, you can worship your God. You can worship your God. So that, that's the outline. It's very simple. It's okay to wrestle with God in your questions, verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4, it's okay to plead with God. In your trials. Verses 5 and 6. In your trials. In your hardships. In your adversities. You can worship your God. So with that said. Dear ones. If you noticed. I did not start reading. With your English verse 1. I started the reading of the psalm. With the title or the superscript if you will that should be above if you got a faithful translation of the scriptures it's what is said is for the choir master or some translations say to the choir master a psalm of David 
And if you look throughout the Psalms, you'll notice that most Psalms have titles that are actually given that's not the publishing title. You'll see if you're using a CSB, it says also above, a plea for deliverance. That is not the same. That, that's not inspired. But the superscript where it tells you about the choir master and David wrote it, that is inspired scripture. And if you look at a Hebrew Bible that has verses in it, you'll notice that Psalm 13 has seven verses. And the reason why it has seven verses is because they recognize that that superscript is the inspired word of God and it should be treated as such. So in your reading of the word privately with your families, uh, even corporately, I would encourage you not to skip over the reading of those superscripts. Even if, if they're short, like Psalm 15 just says, if you want to flip over there just briefly, a psalm of David. That's all it says. Some psalms just say of David, and that's it. But it's still God's word, and it's still worthy to be read in all forms of worship, private, familial, and corporate. So that being said, it is God's word. That's why I started with that. And what we notice here, and a detail not to be skipped over, is that this is two or four of the choir master. And if you look at a lot of the psalms, a lot of psalms written by David, he dedicated a lot of these psalms to be two or four of the choir master. So what that tells us is that this psalm is meant to be sung corporately by the nation of Israel. When you think about worship songs, you don't think of something as sad and as dreary as this, do you? Uh, I do, but we'll get to that momentarily. There's probably something wrong with me, as I told the early service. But just think about this. This is meant to be prayed. It's meant to be sung. And it's an act of worship towards, I would argue, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know from this psalm that David, King David, wrote it. And I told you if you're taking notes, the first two verses, I said it's okay to wrestle with God in your questions. Well, there are four questions in these two verses. And the first one is this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Notice, Lord, there's all caps. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see Lord in all caps in your English translations of the scriptures, you need to make a mental note that that's not simply a title. That is the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh. And you see that David, right from the get-go in his prayer, he's invoking the personal covenant name of our God. He is saying, how long, Yahweh, will you forget me forever? And a lot of times, if we're not careful, 
when we see the word forget in our English Bibles, we oftentimes think of it like a human forgets. I forget a lot oftentimes. I'm very forgetful. However, we know that God is omnipotent and we know that He is omnipresent. If you don't know what those words mean, omnipotent means all-powerful. Omnipresent means, or omniscient rather, excuse me, means all-knowing. And if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, omnipotent and omniscient, then, well, he can't really forget anything, can he? He can't. What this text is telling us is not that God actually forgets in a human way, but to be forgotten by God is an old Jewish way to say that David feels cursed. And if that wasn't Enough for you to get that. The second question that he asked of Yahweh really drives that home for us. He asked, how long will you hide your face from me? This harkens back to the book of Numbers, the prayer that you may be familiar with where the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. That's a prayer of blessing asking Yahweh God to bless the people of Israel. And here is the exact opposite. For God to hide His face is the exact opposite of what is prayed for in Numbers. And David feels from these two questions that he is cursed by his God, Yahweh, and he doesn't know when it's going to stop. And so... There it ends, at least with the questioning of Yahweh. He feels cursed by God. I don't know where you're at this morning. There's no way for me to know. But I do know if you've been a Christian for any length of time, dear friend, you've felt like God's forgotten you. You felt like he doesn't care about your situation. You feel as though he is far from you. We'll get to that shortly. David goes on to say different questions. These two questions move from who God is and what God is to the world around us. The first question is introspective. He asked him about himself. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. We do not know the exact situation to which he is going. But we do know that whatever it was. If I may say this. He was going through hell on earth. And he is being tormented uh, both in his body and in, and in his mind. And he has no assurance in this life that it's going to let up. And then he asks a question about whatever it was that was dominating him, as the CSB says. How long will my enemy dominate me? Now, as I said, we don't know why 
He's asking these questions. We don't know why he is pleading before God in the next verses. But what we do know is whatever it was, it was bad. Whatever it was, it was a reminder in this world that we live in a fallen world. We don't live in a world that's filled with poodles and daffodils, do we? But we live in a world that is in constant need of the saving grace of God. And we see that most acutely expressed here. Whatever it was, whether it was actual adversaries or whether it was sin in his life that brought on those adversaries, unprovoked or not, whatever happened to King David, it was ripping him to pieces. So, have you been where David's been in this text? Have you questioned perhaps God and His plan for your life? Have you questioned whether or not God loves you, likes you? Have you wondered whether or not you're really okay? Have you wondered in your heart of hearts whatever trial you're going through right now, will this ever end? What I love about the Psalms, dear ones, is that they are very real in our life experiences. Oftentimes when people think about the Psalms, they think about you know one of their favorite feel-good verses taken out of context, put on a coffee cup or on a t-shirt or something like that. But when you really study the Psalms, what you'll find out is they really are real. They really are commensurate with our life experiences. Uh, They really are raw. And you find out that David was a real person that lived in a fallen world just like we do. And that is expressed in strong terms in these questions, both towards God and about God, about himself and about the problem or problems he's facing. Uh, As I said, it's okay to wrestle with God in questions. But don't stay there. Plead with God. Argue your case With the one who is all-knowing. David did. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. Consider me and answer. Yahweh my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice. Because I am shaken. Notice his argument starts out with three requests. He wants God to consider him, to remember him. In other words, to bless him again. To pay attention to him. And to restore his willingness to live. But notice in between the two requests and the last request. What does it say? It says, Lord my God, Yahweh, my God. And I told the early, 
service this. Do not miss the pronoun my. Even in the midst of David's pain and suffering and questioning and pleading, he never loses hope that God is his God. So don't ignore the pronouns that are in your Bible. They can be very theologically rich and helpful. And here we have it stuck right in the middle of this plea. And he says, Yahweh, if you, my God, do not consider me, do not remember me, do not bless me, if you do not give ear to my cry, pay attention to me, if you and you alone do not restore me, give me a will to live, I'm going to sleep in death. Whatever he was going through felt so bad that it's not a stretch to say there were times he thought he wanted to die. But he knew that he could plead to his, as we'll get to, covenantly faithful God. And, and so that's what he's doing. And then he goes on to argue his case further by pleading towards those or pleading with those in mind who are dominating him. He says, my enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Notice his logic in verse 4. Whatever it was, whether it's the enemy of sin, or whether it's the enemy of actual people, David is saying, if I do sleep in death, if you do not restore me, if you do not bless me, if you do not answer me, Yahweh my God, they're going to have the victory. And they're going to rejoice. They are going to be the ones who think they've won. And there's going to be great celebration. Because David, as the text says, is shaken. Have you been there? Maybe you haven't had people literally running after your very life. Maybe you've had. I don't know each of you and your life stories. Perhaps life has beaten you down so hard you have felt like you've wanted to die. Perhaps you've gone through a trial recently and, and you don't have physical enemies, but that trial has been with sin that you've fought and fought and fought with, maybe in yourself or in another person, and you are just at your rope sin, and you don't feel like you can do it anymore, and you feel like God doesn't care and He's not paying attention. You, dear friend, dear one, can follow the example of our brother David and say to God, consider me and answer me, Yahweh. My God. And in this text, we see a man who's reached the bottom of the bottom. He's reached the pit of despair. And then in verses 5 and 6, I told you that regardless of your trials, you can worship God. All the scholars agree, dear friends, that there's a tonal shift here. Uh, 
I told the early service that one of my fellow pastors, uh, Pastor Russ, likes to call this the beautiful butt of the Bible, or one of the beautiful butts of the Bible. And here you see it, don't you? You have here, but, pay attention to that conjunction in the English, but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. Oh, dear friends, notice David's resolve to worship the Lord. Frankly, we don't even know if he has gone out of his trial by the time he's written 5 and 6. But there's definitely an attitude change, a heart change, where he has gone from wrestling with God in question to pleading with God. In verse 5 and 6, we finally get the beauty of resolve. And notice the resolve shows itself in two primary ways. Trusting and then singing. And in that singing you have rejoicing. In this text, dear ones, we have a a happy resolve. Not all the lament psalms, the psalms of sadness, are that way. I told the early services probably says something about my personality and the way I'm wired. But my favorite psalm is Psalm 88. And the reason why I love Psalm 88 is because it doesn't end happily. You know how it ends. You can go home and read it later. It says, my companions have become darkness. I look at your faces. You're definitely thinking, why in the world is he up here preaching? He's weird. So, with that said, that's my favorite psalm. And this is among my top ten favorites. Because it's so raw and real with emotion. And if I may be transparent and vulnerable with you, when my mother died, as some of you may know, this past January, this psalm, along with Psalm 88 and others, ministered to me because it gave me a category for my grief. And I questioned God in prayer. I pleaded with God in prayer. I I just realized that it's okay to express suffering to God in prayer. You know that, don't you? It's okay to suffer in front of God. It's okay to to bear your old sinful, dirty heart out to God. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that if you know His Son Jesus, you have reason for rejoicing. Look at what the text says in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love. I told the early services, I'm going to tell you as well. Circle that, underline that, star it, do whatever your brain needs to do to make sure whenever you see faithful love, or if you're using 
the ESV, it says steadfast love. New American Standard says loving kindness. Whatever you want to, what translation you want to use, dear friends, you need to make sure your brain recognizes that because it's theologically rich and faithful because David's not trusting in some external measure to get him out of his circumstances. He is trusting in the very nature of who and what God is. Notice the text. Your faithful love. And then he goes on to say, My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. The ESV says salvation. Whatever word you want to use there, the concept is the same. That David is resolved to trust in the goodness of his God, Yahweh. And I would submit it's the same for us, dear friends. That regardless of the trials we're going through, we can make five and six our prayer. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, life is just going to clear up and, you know, the poodle will dance around your garden or, or whatever. But what it does mean is that you're going to have strength. You're going to have resolve to go through your trials knowing that, that God loves you. How does He love you? He loves you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would submit to you, dear friends, this psalm is primarily about the Lord Jesus Christ. It all points to Him. And you may say, where is that in the text? I don't see Jesus Christ in this text. And I would say, well, your eyes are working well. Jesus Christ is not in the text, at least on a surface level reading. But you've got to understand that these four how long questions find their answer in the Lord Jesus Christ. How long, Yahweh? Will you forget me forever? If you're in Jesus Christ, you listen to me. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're never forgotten. It may feel as though he's far away and he doesn't care. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you're not forgotten. Why is that, dear ones? Because he hung upon the cross of Calvary. Quoted Psalm 22. And said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took on the full curse for sinners like you and like me. When he hung upon the cross of Calvary, bearing the full brunt of the penalty for sin, absorbing all of God's righteous wrath for sin to those to whom he died, and dear ones, I want you to know that if you are in the Lord Jesus, you can pray this prayer and realize and worship that in Jesus, He will never forget you. Secondly, 
How long will you hide your face from me? If you are in Jesus, if you've trusted in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and you're trusting in him alone, the prayer of numbers, the Lord keep you and make your face shine upon you, is always a reality in your life. Remember what was said of Jesus at the baptism and at the transfiguration. He said, this is my beloved son. Well, if you are in Jesus, dear ones, you're his adopted son. You're his adopted daughter. And he's well pleased with you. His face of blessing is always shining upon you. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. In Jesus, your suffering in this life is guaranteed to end. Even if it may not actually end in this life, what Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross, dear friends, is peace and joy and healing. And that may not be realized here. I don't know if you know this, but you have an actual example sitting in front of you preaching to you. Whether or not I get up and walk on this side of the earth, that's not my hope. That's not where my joy is. My joy is found in the person and work of Jesus and the resurrection body He purchased and won for me on the cross. And so you see, dear friends, Regardless of what you're going through, the third question has a final answer. You can, you can know that there's coming a day when all your suffering, all your trials, all your hardships will be over. And the final question is very much connected. Your enemy, your primary enemy even, is sin death, destruction, it won't dominate you forever. If you're in Jesus Christ, He has triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. He has triumphed over sin. He has triumphed even over our own depravity of mind. He has triumphed over suffering. And in Jesus, in Jesus alone, we find our hope. And in Jesus, dear ones, all these questions have a not only positive ending, but a joyous ending. That's why David can even say in this life that his heart will rejoice in God's salvation. I think in the immediate context, he is talking about his trial, but I think David also knew that he had an end times hope as well. And what I would say to you, dear friends, that is our hope if we know Jesus Christ. Notice I said, if we know Jesus Christ. In a room this size, I don't want to presume that everybody in here is my Christian brother and sister. 
if you do not know Jesus, if you have not trusted in Him alone, placed all your belief in Him alone, all your hope in Him alone, and you get to that day of judgment, and you stand before Him naked in your depravity, naked in your sin, you'll understand the true terror of what it's like to be forgotten forever. You'll understand the true terror of what it's like for Him to hide His face from you. You'll have anxious concerns with you for eternity as you realize you cannot bear the punishment you rightly deserve. You, you will have agony in every part of your body and soul every single second of eternity. And your enemy of sin and your primary enemy at that point, God will dominate you every day in the fires of eternal hell. Oh, my dear friends, if you're here this morning, you're realizing, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner. I have no joy. I have no hope. I have no peace. Come to Jesus. You'll have every reason to rejoice. Just like David. Now, for, for the Christian, I just want to say, none of this sermon is meant to downplay how hard your life may be right now. It's not to excuse that, it's not to make light of that. Some of you in here may be struggling in your marriage. Even a teenager may be here and they're struggling, wondering how they're going to get into school, be accepted to college or trade school, what have you. Listen to me, it doesn't matter to me what you are going through. If you know Jesus, and if you are in Him, and He is in you, You've got the strength you need to go through the dark trials of life. And I really pray that that's an encouragement because if you're a believer in here this morning, you, you can rejoice. Even though your enemies, your foes, as the text says, want to rejoice over your downfall, you are the one that can actually rejoice and you'll have eternal rejoicing forever and ever and ever, primarily because of who and what God is in His faithful love, in His covenant faithfulness, in His loving kindness that is principally seen in the person and work of Jesus. It's all about Him, dear friends. And that is why this psalm can end in a note of praise rather than a note of of sorrow. But even if it did stop at verse 4, it would still be good for us to know and to read and worship. Because as I've already said, Psalm 88 has nothing good about it. But it's still God's Word. Sometimes in this life, God allows for the trials not to end. What's going to be your hope? What's going to be your joy? What's going to be your anchor through the trials? Some of you may be here and you struggle with deep depression. Perhaps you're on medication of 
some sort or another. I do not have authority. I'm not that type of doctor to be able to say you need to get off that medicine. But what I can tell you is that you are spiritually responsible to cling to Jesus. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cling to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And even though your trials may be deep and dark, you'll find Him to be a wonderful, merciful Savior. And may I suggest to you as well, you have a family. They're called Liberty Baptist Church. If you're hurting, if you're asking these questions, making these pleas, tell your family. Tell a family member, a church member to whom you're close. I promise you, they will not judge you negatively. They will love you and walk with you through it. And you'll find your burden, though heavy, to be much lighter. And I praise God for this church family. You all have been such a blessing to me, still are. And I, I just want you to know that this service, both services, have been prayed for by my church family. Uh, they love you even though they've never met you. And uh, I talk about you guys all the time. Y'all are, are still my family. If you're hurting, you have every right in the world to let a family member know so that, that they can walk with you through it. Because together, the church will sing, rejoice, and trust in God for all of eternity. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. Is loving the Lord, rejoicing in His covenant faithfulness towards us. Because He has dealt bountifully with us. I've got the ESV now and forever stuck in my head. I know the CSV says, uh, treated me generously. But, you know, whatever translation you want to use, it still means the same thing. He has dealt with us bountifully. He has treated us generally in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not yet a saint and you're a sinner, come to the Lord Jesus and you'll find Him to be a loving, loving Savior. If you spurn Him, this is only the beginning of your nightmares. The first four verses. If you're a saint, make Psalm 5 and 6 your prayer. Walk with your church family. And you'll realize the joys that are only beginning to be yours throughout eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this dear church. I thank you for your servant, David. Help us to be people that are marked by joy. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray.